So I'd been working for ASIO for about three or four weeks, and at that point my job was pushing the mail trolley around the building. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to get the information to everybody, and it's all on paper. It's so an important job. It is. Yeah. It's a great job because you get to meet and greet everyone, you know who they are. And I walked into somebody's office. Now, there'd been a big brouhaha in the building that day, and I didn't know why because I'm a 21-year-old idiot who didn't really care about anything. And as I walked into the office, I saw a photograph of a guy I knew on someone's desk. And I went, oh, I know him. Mm-hmm. And a deathly silence fell over the room. Oh, my gosh, why? Well, the desk officer looked at me and went, you know this man. And I went, yeah, I went to school with him. What's the problem? And he looked at me and went, we think he's a terrorist. No. Yeah. You're listening to I Spied, the podcast that aims to undress the spy industry. Only to find a hairy, overweight, middle-aged man underneath. Please, I can't look. What is ASIO? I'm sure you've all heard of it, but do you really know what it does? Is it as sexy as James Bond leads us to believe? Or is it just part of the political fabric? Well, who better to give us the ins and outs than this former ASIO intelligence officer, now comedian, David Callan. I'm Michelle Stevenson, National News Director and Journalist at NOVA. And welcome to I Spied, where we'll take a look at the dark underbelly of the intelligence world. And give its love handles a really good shake. Really good shake? Definitely. I think it's time that we really looked at what ASIO is and what it does. And who better to do that than you? Yes. Seven years working for them, and it's time for everyone to know that it's not James Bond. It is so disappointingly not James Bond. And we'll find out what our file says. Your file says. We'll work out what security is, how we fight terrorism, how we fight spies, how we protect this great nation we call Australia. Hand on heart when you say that. Oh, sorry. Great nation we call Australia. It's a podcast. No one can tell. Okay, so let's just get back to the story. So you knew this guy? Yes. I went to school with him. Okay. And he was a suspected terrorist. It's a pretty confronting thing when you've only been working for ASIO for four weeks. I would imagine. Yes. And I was not prepared for it because I just thought I was getting a job when I joined ASIO. Look, let's let's go back. I should probably explain how I wound up working for ASIO. I, I think that's probably the best bet sure. right now. All right. So there I was, a 20-something guy, 20-something. I was about 20. I'd gone to university for one lecture and decided I don't really want to do this. I just want to get a job. And then for the next two years, had about 11 different jobs. And then I thought, why not apply for the public service? I'm living in Canberra. That's what everyone does. Lots of money, very little responsibility. So I thought that's a great idea. The public service turned around to me and said, we don't have any positions at the moment, but there's these guys called ASIO that are recruiting. Right. So I went, sounds good. What's, you know, what's an acronym? You know, here we go. So I went and did a few tests and a few interviews and a few more interviews and then a psychological evaluation and then some more interviews. And after about nine months of all of these interviews and recruiting nine process, months. nine months recruiting process, I wound up working for ASIO. Okay, but... Did you know what they were at that point? Nope. <laughs> so, I had no idea what ASIO was. So you got offered a job and you had no idea what they did? Zero. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. Well, this is very fascinating to yeah. me. Why did you say yes then? Because it was a job with flex time. And I really wanted a job with flex time so I could do theatre at night. 
I mean, that makes sense. Yes, of course. I mean, why not become a spy so you can become an actor? I mean, the, the two kind of interrelate, right? Well, you'd be surprised at just how close both of them are. Yeah. I mean, people say politics is show business for ugly people. Well, Asia, who is sort of like hardcore, intensive method acting <laughs> for even uglier people. Well, actually, they're not that ugly. There's some really sexy people working for ASIO. I thought we weren't getting into the sexy part quite yet. We'll get to that. Look, <laughs> there are stories and there are stories. But essentially, I joined what I thought was a government department. And then it all went pear-shaped after that when right. I discovered that I'm working for our domestic security intelligence organisation. For most people. Yeah. No one really knows what ASIO does. They're kind of like they're, they're the people that are in the background. Yes. You don't know what they do, where they are. are they, I mean, are they spies? Well, do you know what that means if you don't know what they're doing? It, it means, means that, they're doing right. their job. All yeah. right. ASIO's roles and functions are defined by the ASIO Act to obtain, evaluate and correlate information relevant to security. That's a whole bunch of words that don't really say anything. Exactly. All right. So what does security mean? That's the big word yeah. here. What does security mean? Again, defined by the ASIO Act, it is the protection of the Commonwealth of Australia and its peoples from espionage, sabotage, politically motivated violence, terrorism, which we're talking about right now, mm -hmm. attacks on the defence system and acts of foreign interference. That's like everything. Yeah. Well, essentially, ASIO is like the school prefect. Yeah. It's hanging around the corridors of the country, making sure that none of us get up to any mischief and making sure no one comes in to get up to any mischief. So it's protecting us from spies from the outside and protecting us from terrorists and also internal threats like, say, a right-wing group. So that's what ASIO does. It looks after us. It doesn't actively go out and seek intelligence overseas. We have other people that do that. But what it does is it stops people coming in from overseas to spy on us and also from people acting in uh, terroristic kind of ways, as so, I discovered. So when you look at ASIO, in we, I mean, quite often we, we see MI5, we yeah. see CIA, yeah. and we think, we, I mean, we know a lot about them. They're, they're in movies, they're in books, they're yeah. written about, but mm. ASIO, nothing. No. Well, there, there are two shows that are about ASIO. One I was in. <laughs> uh, one called Secrets, which was by, made by the ABC around about 1993, 94. Yep. And the other one is Secret City. But again, it's heightened. It's fictional. What I always find fascinating is the number of guns that appear in anything to do with spies. Are you not killing everyone? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. We don't want to kill people. We want to keep you in play. We don't want to kill opposition spies because if we kill one of their spies, they'll kill one of our spies. It, it is gets a very, messy. It's, it gets messy and nobody yeah. wants that. Um, and the other thing is we don't want to shut down a certain network because if we shut it down, we lose the rest of the network. If we grab one guy because, oh, we think you're, a, you know, we think you might be a terrorist. We'll take you off the streets. The problem is, if we take him off the streets straight away, we won't know the rest of his network. So, I mean, MI5 and CIA, and you know, to some extent, what used to be the KGB and all of that, mm. we we know a lot about it. Yes. And now, is it is it intentional that we don't know a lot about ASIO? Well, yes, and no. It's intentional because. ASIO actually do their job very well. Right. And also we have a government that will go into bat for ASIO to protect them. But also a lot of the time the people that are revealing stuff about ASIO don't really know what they're talking about. Right? Because they're it's they're supposing it as a, it's all supposition as opposed to it being, well, experience and fact.
So you get accepted into ASIO. Yeah. Talk me through your first day. <laughs> I mean, you don't know what it is. What happens? Well, that was the great thing. The first thing you do is you go through orientation, where they teach you everything you need to know about working for ASIO, uh, personal security, learning to clean your desk. When did it dawn on you that you were actually in counterintelligence? Or intelligence, I should say. Pretty much that day. Okay. Because <laughs> you needed a tidy desk? Yes. Okay. Well, you've got to pack everything away at the end of the day. You can't leave anything out on your desk because then... It's like people... hot desking in the 2000s. <laughs> well, hot desking with a bloody big safe right next to your desk. Okay. You literally sweep your desk into lock up and the only thing left on your desk is two phones, the internal, the green internal phone, which is for secure conversations, and the brown external phone, which is for insecure conversations. The what about phone, the bat phone? Is there well, a bat phone? <laughs> the, the brown phone had a big orange sticker on it that said, this phone is insecure. And I'd always come in every day and go, oh, come on, mate. I think you're a great little phone. You're tops. Come on. Don't be like that. Pick trying to build up. up its confidence. Yeah, trying to build up the confidence of my, inter- of my external phone. So you learn that. And that was the great thing was that we walked into the training section and we were all sitting there and, like, yeah, there's a very diverse group of people, about 10 of us. Mm. And we had guys that were coming in as desk officers, guys that were coming in as administrative officers, guys coming in as case officers, and then idiots like me coming in to push mail trolleys. And then one guy, one of the, he became the head of training, an amazing guy. I'll just call him Brownie for now. He just goes, people say terrorism doesn't exist in Australia. Let me change your mind and did the slideshow. And we all just sat there with eyes like dinner plates going, holy crap, so much stuff has happened in this country that we don't know about Mm. or we've pretty much ignored. So that was the big eye-opener was that. And then, of course, we were told that at the time the number one target for ASIO was the Soviet Union. Yeah. They had spies in Australia. So oh, the Cold War. Oh, the Cold, Cold War. Mate, I was at the tail end of the Cold War. And uh, have you ever seen Atomic Blonde? Uh, with, no. With Charlize Theron? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yep. yes. And James McAvoy. Yep. God damn, I wish that's what my job was like because it was <laughs> nothing like Atomic Blonde. It was blonde. not as sexy? Never even damn like it. No hot Russian blondes? No, we listened to a lot of Bowie, but no, other than that, there was nothing <laughs> going on. There was that sort of thing of East Berlin and you know East and West and the, the Berlin Wall. That was a hotbed of intelligence operations. Places like Beirut were hotbeds. All of the, There were different locations around the world that were very active, mm. but yeah, in Australia, we're sleepy hollow down here. There's nothing going on. Yeah. You're on your first day. Yep. You're getting taught a few things. Yep. I get taught that and then I go and show my new workplace, which was basically a giant room full of boxes. And my first job was to open those boxes, take those files, walk them into a vault and put those files on the shelves. Because ASIO, the reason I got into ASIO was ASIO lost 50% of its staff literally overnight. Because ASIO's headquarters used to be in Melbourne. Yeah. And then the Australian government went, we probably need to keep ASIO a little closer to home. So they moved ASIO up into a brand new spanking headquarters in Canberra, Russell offices, the defence complex. And uh, then they moved all the files up. Now, when they moved all the files up and all the equipment and all the desks and all that sort of stuff, one thing that didn't come up from Melbourne was half the staff. Because people didn't want to leave Melbourne? People are like that when they live in Melbourne. They don't <laughs> want to leave Melbourne. It's so true. Yeah, they're really, they are. And the guys that did move from Melbourne to Canberra, man, they turned ASIO into a little corner of Melbourne. Oh, my gosh. Really nice coffee. Good, I was going to say great cafes. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. We actually had a little cafe in the, in the building because once journalists discovered that ASIO was in the Russell Defence complex. There yeah. was a canteen outside, like a big 
government-run canteen outside the, the wall. There. So they'd hang out there looking for us because our passes were a different colour to the defence passes. And, you know, we'd, you know, you walk out with your pass around your neck and you forget about it. That got me into trouble. But... By the way, before we go any further, a little disclaimer, I got into a lot of trouble working for ASIO. I am shocked you strike me as someone who has it all together. Totally level-headed, <laughs> um, if the level is a 45-degree angle. They, they really turned it into a kind of Melbourne place. The Herald Sun was the go-to paper. I, oh, by the way, when people say that working in the public service, that all they do is read the paper for the first two hours of the day, well, with ASIO, that's pretty accurate. You're expected to read at least four papers. And why is that? Well, you get a lot of information through the press. We all used to read the personal ads because a lot of the time people were sending messages to each other through personals. No. Yeah, seriously. See, now that's fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Talk right. me through that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you might have somebody that posts uh, – post. see, look at me now. I'm so, I'm so 21st century. You but are. I, but we're talking the 80s They'd here. write a letter? So, yeah. Uh, they would put a, an ad in a personal column saying, you know, looking forward to catching up with you at the usual place. Right. Now, we could say, okay, what's going on here? Is this somebody we know? Is this something important? Now, sometimes it wasn't. But a lot of the time, yeah, that's how people got information and messages to each other because we didn't have email, we didn't have text, we didn't have Snapchat or, you know, WeChat or whatever chat. We basically had to work in a very analogue universe. Digital didn't exist back then. Right, so you've you've started doing your training, yep. you're reading a few papers, yep. you're drinking great coffee. Fabulous. Right, so... It wasn't black and gold, <laughs> let me tell you. What was your first actual job within the company? Well, pack, unpacking boxes and then, and then I went into the mailroom. And then into the mailroom. And, yeah. And, and that's where we find you. That's where you find me, pushing the mail trolley around the building so I'm getting files to people and mail to people and there happened to have been uh, bombing uh, in Melbourne that night, the okay. night before. Uh, now, I didn't know about it because I was a young up-and-coming actor. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> who was just doing this as a part-time job. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's whatever you, whatever you needed to tell <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah, <laughs> whatever I needed to tell myself to justify what I was doing. And I didn't understand what was going on. Walked into this guy's office. There's a black-and-white photograph of a guy I went to school with. Right. And he supposedly had been involved in this terrorist incident. Wow. So yeah. You, I mean, A, what are the chances? Yeah, that's that was the big one for me. I'm thinking, no, I'm a pretty much middle class, white bread kind of kid. No way anything like that's going to pop up in my view. And bingo, I'm dumped right into the middle of it. And then what, how was that received? Oh, it was received <laughs> with a lot of excitement uh, because they'd been sitting there going, we're not exactly sure who this guy is, right? Because in a surveillance... And you're like, that's Dave. We used to hang out. <laughs> Brad! <laughs> Brad! <laughs> Gibbo! So what happened was they turned around and said, can you go and tell your supervisor, yeah, take your trolley with you, can you tell your supervisor that you're not going to be around ooh, for the next two or three days? Which, okay, walked my trolley back downstairs, finished my runs, of course. Yeah, I've got to do your rounds. Right. Finished my rounds, took the trolley back downstairs, and my boss is like, where the hell have you been? And I went, oh, I was up in politically motivated violence, and uh, my voice did sound like that. <laughs> violence. All right, Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. And uh, I saw a photo of a guy I went to school with. My boss didn't even bat an eyelid. He went, see you later. Bye. Right. Don't want to know. Don't tell me. You're gone. Yeah. And that was one of the things you did start to learn. I never did, but most people did very quickly. I don't want to know. Right. Need to know is a really important part of intelligence. We won't tell you unless you really need to. Mm -hmm. But being a curious guy, I always wanted to know, which, again, got me into a few scrapes. But 
I then went upstairs and they started grilling me about this guy, like everything I could tell them, which wasn't a lot. I hadn't seen him. I was, what, 21? So I hadn't seen him in three. Well, mm. I hadn't been to school with him in three years, but I had seen him around the traps, you know, out on the Terps on a Friday night, yeah. saw him at the nightclub and that sort of thing. Yeah, it, that that became really confronting when they said, no, you really need to understand what's going on here. And one of the things they said, and I remember it vividly because, again, the case officer was this very quiet, it wasn't James Bond, very quiet. It, they, they look like accountants, they sound like accountants, and they lie like politicians. They are incredibly clever people. Mm. And he basically turned around and said, look, this is how it works. You're going to tell us everything you know about this guy. Mm. And if it turns out that there's nothing there, then that's fine. You're fine. He's fine. We're all fine. But you can lie to us about this guy. And if we find out you're lying, well, he's screwed. And you're screwed right along with him. And you do. You literally go, and you tell them Take all of my words. Take Take, all of my knowledge. Take my knowledge. Take everything I know, which wasn't a lot, right? Again, he was just a guy I went to high school with. But the whole thing was they're, they're taking tiny little pieces of a puzzle, right? The best way to look at intelligence is it's a jigsaw puzzle, but yeah. all the pieces are white. Yeah. So they're trying to find all these pieces and put them all together, right? So I might have told them a little bit of something that would help. And the great thing was at one point I turned and said, hey, look, I don't understand why it's a problem. He was a member of the Army Reserve. So why would he be a member of the Army Reserve? <laughs> and it was like the balloon went up. It's like it was, what, what, we trained him. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. That and that's literally it. A great way if you want to be a terrorist to get trained is join the army reserve and we'll, we'll show I, you how to do I it. I mean, you look at Osama bin Laden; he was trained by the CIA. Well, that's a do you know that's what I mean? a like, great. There's a great story there. That's yes. an entire episode yeah. just Osama bin Laden. There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. So yeah, this guy was suddenly in the frame. Mm. The big thing was when I kept saying, I don't understand what the problem was, then they took me to the bomb site and showed me what the problem was. And that's the most confronting thing. That was a real confronting thing to see one month in. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're like literally fresh off the bus. Yep. And here you are at a terrorist site. Yeah. So they just walked me in and went, that's what we're talking about. And we see cars explode on TV all the time. Yeah. Right? And it's lots of flame and all that sort of thing. Well, a bomb going off in a car, a real bomb going off in a car, tears the thing apart. Well, it would. It was literally from the wheels down wow. was all that existed. The top wow. of the car was gone. And so was the guy that was in the car at the time. Oh, my gosh. So there was someone in there. There was someone in there. He was actually leaning over the bomb, setting it. Right. So a bad guy. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was not a good guy. And it went off while he was over I, it. I mean, how... Like, you'd have to really suck at a te- as a terrorist to, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. to mistime your own bomb. It is one of those things where, you know, when you see terrorist incidents go wrong, you do sit there going, who's going to actually put their hand up and claim responsibility for this one when it is such a mind-blowing fuck-up? Yeah, right? like such a fuck-up. So, like, literally you've got – you've there was bits of this guy, I would imagine? Yeah, that's how they identified him. Oh. From the, the bits. Okay. Right. And it was it was icky. It was and again, it was that confronting thing where, hang on, I just thought ASIO, haha, that's a bit of fun. Mm. When I, once I knew where I, what it was I was doing, I went, oh yeah, whatever. What could possibly go wrong? Right. The whole thing was, Bing. I'm in this place and I suddenly realise what's at stake. Then I started because I worked in the registry. Mm. I could access files, the general files. I couldn't get to restricted stuff, but I could read things. And I tell you. 
it beats a gossip magazine anytime. Oh my gosh, it'd be like mountains of great reading. Oh, well, the royals really are lizard people. <laughs> um, no, and the thing was, I started having a look at well, what is the history of terrorism in Australia? Mm. And there are phenomenal events. There were, there was, there's terrorism right through our history. When people go, it's a new thing, and we've got to. I know, up and for it. It, we should touch on that slightly because people do think when they think of terrorism, they do think about you know Osama bin Laden mm -hmm. and and you know the Trade Center and terrorism as what we know it now. But in actuality, it isn't. No. No, for Australia, it's always a lot – like terrorism has kind of grown. It's become yeah. a growth industry. I sort of used to do a thing in, uh, where I talk about terrorism as being a lot like theatre companies. Mm. You've got your right. sort of you've, – you've, you've got your big groups, you know, your big shows like the Sydney Theatre Company yeah. or Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Right? And then you've got your boutique groups like the Bangara Dance Company or Basque <laughs> Separatists. I mean, no one's really sure what they're on about. But it's obviously really important and it's great to talk about at dinner. <laughs> then you've got your fringe groups yep. like Puppetry of the Penis or Chechnya. Right. right. Now, the, that Poor was Chechnyans. The, but the Chech, that whole Chechen thing where, where they, they hijacked the theatre. Yeah. And you know, it was like, you know, we hijack theatre, but theatre goes nowhere. That's theatre for you. <laughs> uh, but then it be, the yeah. whole thing is the the lone gunman or the very small boutique kind of yes. idea, which is a bit like a basker. Yeah. Where they show up, you don't know what they're going to do, and generally it's bloody awful. Right. So with with this case that we're now talking about, yeah. was this more of a lone? Not so much a lone one, but it was a very small one. So right. there were a group of Armenians, very unhappy with the Turkish genocide of 1908, mm -hmm. still harbouring a lot of resentment. A lot of resentment. They were The group was called the Justice Commandos of the Armenian Genocide. This was not the first time they'd done something that in Australia. That is quite a title. Like, if you're going to name a group, that's a pretty good name, right? You'd expect them to have a uniform. I thought they would have a uniform. Like the whole, of, like, either Avengers or... Yes, that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking more along the lines of X-Men leather. 100%. But these guys were active and they were active in Australia. And wow. Like the justice commandos of the Armenian genocide were a part of the Armenian secret army for the liberation of Armenia. Guys, we know you're Armenian. It's in there twice. And it's just like, okay. How many times can we put Armenian in there? You couldn't you call yourself the secret army for the liberation of Armenia, not the Armenian secret army for the liberation no, of Armenia? No. But anyway, we, we're, we're quibbling over yes. terms here. And they'd been active. There is a current ongoing investigation for a political assassination Right here in Sydney. Wow. Right, which yep. happened a few years before the bombing in Melbourne yep. where two guys in Dover Heights just pulled up on a motorbike and gunned down the Turkish consulate and his bodyguard. And, in fact, the police have only just recently upped the reward for any information to work out who it was that did it. Which is so fascinating well, that, like, that this stuff is happening. 40 years yes. after the event. Yeah. Right, this is still ongoing. Yeah. And that's the thing that I always found fascinating about intelligence is the handcuffs don't always lock. In fact, they very rarely lock. Yes, after the bombing, someone went to prison for it. And it wasn't my friend. It wasn't right. the guy that I knew. But what happened was this guy went to prison. He's now been paroled. I think he's out now and he's basically gone, I never want to have anything to do with this again. Well, a lot of them just get caught up in it when yeah. they're young. They're young, impressionable. They're young, impressionable. And also they've been constantly fed by mm. generations before. Going, yeah. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. Mm. Sure. What Turkey did to Armenia terrible. But you know what? Blowing up a consulate in Melbourne 80 years after the fact... Not going to change anything. It's not going to make no. any difference. So what was your next step? What Were you getting briefed to participate in this investigation? What happened? Well, the next step was, would you like to go and talk to your mate? And you're like, sure. <laughs> it was like, 
hell to the no. And they went, no, that's not the correct answer. You're Try like, again. This was not, this required no answer. This required no answer. They then wanted me to go and have a chat to him, mm. which was the most awkward conversation I've ever had in my life because his question was constantly, why are you here? Why are you here? So you think he knew? I think he suspected, yes. So were you were you mic'd up? Like no. how did this how does this No work? no no no. It was no. just go and talk to him and okay. then come back and talk to us. Right. Just see what see what he knows. No, no, no. Look, it's very rare you'd walk in wearing a wire because it's too easy for something oh, to go wrong. But then I'm just like you're I mean, just now shattering you've... all of my plans. I know, of like how it goes. Now there are microphones all around us. We're recording a podcast. Well, yeah, beyond that. Like we all carry microphones. We all carry yes. phones. Which again, going back to that thing you said about oh the CIA and MI5 and we see all these shows, Spooks. I know, Spooks is great. The one thing. No, Spooks is not great. It was everyone great. died. Yeah. Everyone died. Everyone died. But the other thing is everyone had a mobile phone at work. Yeah. And you don't have a mobile phone when you work in a secure building. I mean, makes sense. Right, because you've got a camera and you've got a, a voice recorder yeah. and you can beam it out. Yes. So you didn't. Yes. Like back then we didn't have mobile phones anyway. They didn't exist. But now... Like there's little lockers that yeah. they put them in and you're meant to put them on silent, but I understand that they never do because it annoys the hell out of the guards when oh your God, phone goes off. Oh, my God, that would be so annoying. Could you imagine? Just this room that's constantly ringing next to you. Oh, it's like working – have you ever – oh, no, you are a boomer. But like when you work with boomers and they leave their, their mobile phones up really loud. Oh, I do that anyway because oh. I'm, I'm kind of deaf. Oh, see, uh, it's so annoying. <laughs> oh, you wait till my phone goes off, you will find it is the oh. most offensive ring on the phone. So planet. annoying. Anyway, so you speak to the guy, he te- tells you nothing. No. I mean, that must have been a really awkward conversation. You haven't seen him since high school or had you well, seen I'd, him? Look, I'd seen him about a year earlier, in right. a, like at the pub, and he seemed normal. I mean, we all change as we go over time. Mm. I remember him as being that guy that was, you know, he'd get drunk with us after yeah. a game of rugby up at the pub and that sort of thing at school. Yes, we were that kind of ki- we were those kind of kids. Yeah, right. But, yeah, it, that, that was the awkward thing. And it was a case that I followed afterwards in that, I, again, I could access certain files so I could look at them and see what was going on. It was just awkward. To me, it was one of the, the great moments of, well, are you that good an actor? Can you come up with, a, a, a reason why you're here and, B, a reason why to get him to talk, mm. right? And the thing was he was cagey as heck. Now, whether he was involved, whether he wasn't, people that he knew and was very close to were involved, yeah. it was proven. And you know what? Are you going to talk about that sort of thing? No. No, you're not. Uh, so it was, again, I was sort of thought, gee, I failed at my job and they're all going to be very angry with me. They're like, no, 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 that's fine. We, ex- we did not expect anything more. Well, I mean, what a great first month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, yep, yeah, I expected to get like a cake or something out of it, but no. <laughs> that was just, that became what you expected to have happen. Right, so kind of like the catalyst for the rest of your career? Pretty much, yeah, 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 yeah. It really, look, there were highlights and there were lowlights, I've got to be perfectly honest, but I joined for a year and wound up being there for seven. And we're going to tap into all of those seven years. I think next step we're going to look at you following a Russian. Oh, boy, that was not a good day. I can't wait for this story. Uh, A Russian whiskey and a stripper. What could go wrong? Everything. Well, if you enjoyed that story, why don't you give us a little subscribe? And review us. And also review us on ASIO's Twitter feed. That'll be fun. (laughs) ASIO's Twitter feed. I love it. 